Lord, we thank you that your shed blood on the cross has paid for our salvation, Lord, that when we were unworthy and unable, that you gave your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, and that through him and through our faith in him, we can have a relationship and a hope for eternity with you. We pray that this morning as we look in your word, that you would just uh, renew us to our relationship with you and help us to focus on following you so closely that we see your glory displayed around us. In Christ's name, amen. Exodus thirty-three, twelve through 23 uh, is what we're going to look at today. Exodus thirty-three, twelve through 23 is a passage where Moses is, meet, is personally talking to God. And, and so this is what we want to look at this week and hopefully tie it in maybe a little bit to what we've been looking at in Matthew. Matthew chap, or Exodus chapter 33, 12 through 23. The word of God says, Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us, so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me. You shall stand there on the rock, and it, can, it will come about, while my glory is passing by, that I will put you in the cleft of a rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we look into this passage, we trust that you have written it for our benefit. Lord, that it's not just history on dusty pages, but Lord, that it is living and active and the Word of God that can, that can work in each one of our lives. Father, may we have eyes and ears and hearts for your Word today. May your Holy Spirit guide us into your truth. In Christ's name, amen. Um, so here we have in, in Exodus, just to kind of give you an overview in Matthew, as we've been talking about, we've been, we're in a passage in Matthew that's dealing with discipleship. It's dealing with following Christ. It's dealing with, God, with Jesus coming to his disciples and giving them a commission to go out into the, the area of Galilee. And it's kind of this, and he's telling them what they can expect as they go out and live their lives for him and, and, and bring others to follow Christ. And I was thinking about that. I couldn't put together, there was no way, short notice, to put together a sermon related to, really, from Matthew. But as I was kind of going through some of my old sermon notes, I came across Exodus chapter 33. And it kind of struck me that really what, what Jesus is doing is we create disciples, we're really followers of Jesus Christ. 
and we're following his leading in our lives personally. And what we see here as we look at Exodus chapter 33 is we see a very intense conversation between God and Moses face to face. And it really is all about following God, watching God lead as Moses goes to God on behalf of the people of Israel and and begs God to go in front of them and lead them. And he doesn't want to take a step without God leading in his life. And we have to kind of see what's been going on here until we get to this passage. So what's happened right before this is in Exodus chapter 32. If you remember, it's where Moses goes up on Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments, to get the stone tablets that kind of formalize God's relationship with the nation of Israel. Then, after that, he comes back down, but in the meantime, the people have been waiting on him, and God and, and, and they've gotten tired of it. They're like, well, Moses is never coming back. Moses is dead. We don't see him. So what do they do in their wisdom? Uh, you know, They go to Aaron and say, Aaron, we don't trust that Moses is still there. We want to be like all these other We need to see God. We can't just expect him to be out there somewhere. We want to see God. And so Aaron makes this, collects up their jewelry, and he makes this golden calf. And, of course, he blames the people and says, well, the people made me do it. And they threw their gold in the fire, and it just happened to magically appear. That's not really what happened, but that's what, that's what Aaron blames it on. And, and so they make the golden calf, and God is severely displeased. Here they are. God is making them, is, is, is proving to them once again that they're his people. He's having this intense conversation with the one who has led them out of Egypt. He has proven beyond a doubt that he is God by parting the wet Red Seas in front of them, by killing the Egyptian army as they're being chased, and, and then they fail him immediately. And so, and so Moses comes down off the mountain. He sees this happening. The people are punished for their sin. And Moses breaks the, the, the commandments because he's so angry at this happening. And, that, and, 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 and after God has struck the people and many of them have died because of this golden calf, that's where this picks up at. And what's happened is part of God's response to this is that he tells Moses in, in, uh, in verses 33, 2 through 3, he says, I still want you to go to the promised land, but you're not going to do it with me. He says, I will send an angel before you. And I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite, the Hittite, the Parasite, the Hivite, the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, because you're an obstinate people, and I might destroy you on your way. And so, basically what God has said is, you know what? I, I want you to go there. I've promised this. I'm going to keep my promise, but you are terrible at following me and obeying me. So... I'm just going to send my angel, a little peon, and and they'll go in front of you, and you can trust me, you'll make it to the land. Well, Moses' response to this declaration by God, that God is through with them as far as being constantly present with them and leading them personally, and all he's going to do is just send one of the, basically his worker bees, his angels, That's where we find Moses at this point. There's a section right after this where it talks about how they had a tent. They they didn't have the tabernacle at the time. The tabernacle would be set up later as they moved through the wilderness. They would set up a tabernacle. It would be a permanent, kind of semi-permanent until the temple came along. 
place where God would meet with them and they would worship. But at this time, Moses had a tent that he would have set up, and that was where Moses would personally go and meet with God. And, and, the, and, the, the, and before we get to the passage today, it would tell us that the presence of God, the people would see a cloud come down and fill this tent, around the tent, and they would know that Moses was in there personally talking to God. Can you imagine how it would be to literally walk into a place and, and the presence of God is not just something you feel and experience, but literally something you see? But that's what it was. Moses had this relationship with God that he spoke to God face to face. And so what he does is he goes into this. And this whole prayer is really his response to God of God saying, go, but you're not going to go with me. I will keep my promise, but you're not going to go with me. And that's when Moses comes before God and pleads with God. And what we see here is we see three petitions by Moses, and we see three answers by God. And what we find there is that God's leading in our lives is a direct result of our recognition of His sovereign guidance in our life. And our recognition of our place in God's world and our response to His leadership. And so, it starts off by saying in verses 12, 13, and 14, it says, Then Moses said to the Lord, this is Moses talking, he says, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you'll send with me. That's He's talking about the angel there. He says, you told me you're going to send an angel, but I, I don't know this angel, I know you. Moreover, you've said I've known you by, my, by name, and you've also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray you, if I found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation's your people. And, he, and then God, he said, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. The first step that we see here in God's leading in our life is to recognize his sovereign control over everything in our life. Everything about this is Moses recognizing that God is ultimately in charge of his life, in charge of his destiny, in charge of his people's destiny. That Moses is not just out there on his own making decisions and making plans and willy-nilly walking wherever he wants to. But that the way that Moses recognizes God's leadership is by recognizing that God is in control. It's interesting that he starts that one of the things he says there in verse 12, he says, "But you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me, but you have told me, I have known you by name." When God when Moses says to God, "God, you've told me that you know my name, that you have found that I have found favor in your sight." He's recognizing that God has sovereignly chosen him. That God called him. I mean, Moses was was a nobody. Moses was supposed to be dead at two years old because he was a a, a, a male baby, and yet God sovereignly allowed him to be placed in a, in a, in a reed in, in a reed car- carrier for a baby, placed into the Nile River where the where the uh, the princess of Egypt found him took care of him as her own child. He grew up as a prince in the king's house. 
And then when, and then even when he did something to mess that up and he murdered somebody and ran off on the backside of the desert, here he is a nobody again on the backside of the desert after having murdered an Egyptian. He could have been put to death for that. And yet God found him when he thought nobody knew where he was at. And God showed up in a burning bush and said, Moses, you're the one who's going to set my people free. And Moses is like, whoa, God, I can't even talk. What are you talking about? I can't, I can't lead anybody anywhere. And God said, no, you're the one. You're the one who's going to do it. And so all through his life, Moses has recognized that, God, I'm not here because I'm this great man who who looked at my people and said, I'm the one who's going to lead them out of Egypt. I'm only here because you came to me and you found me and I'm a nobody and you chose me. And so that's Moses's beginning place. He doesn't begin with himself. And too many times in our lives, when we're wondering where God is and when we're, we're trying, we, we, we want to see God and we wonder why we're not hearing from him and everything else, is that too many times, maybe we're looking at it from all about us and all about our perspective. Instead of looking and seeing that God is the one who sovereignly placed us here. He's the one who chose us for salvation. He's the one who said, I know you, you're my child And I have a plan for you. And like Moses, we need to look and say, Lord, you've known my name. You knew me. The Bible says before you were born, while you were still in your mother's womb, I knew you and I formed you and I chose you. And so he says that you were known by name. Second Timothy chapter two, verse 19 says this. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. The first place to go to when you're unsure of the Lord's leading is go back to who is in control and who owns you. You don't own your life. When we come to Jesus Christ, we come as one who is able to do nothing The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that we are unable to save ourselves. And when we come to God, we come helpless sinners who can do nothing to save ourselves. But yet God chooses us, He loves us, and He saves us. And if we continually go back to that place, when we're unsure of which direction to take and say, Lord, I don't know the answer. But instead of trusting in myself, I'm going to take a minute. I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to just press ahead. I'm not going to just step out blindly. And I'm going to trust you because I know you're the one that holds me. And so Moses starts off with that, that you knew my name, Lord. Then he said, then we see him here. He says, the, and, and we find out that the more we see God working, the more we trust in him and the more we find favor in his sight. It's, I love the, uh, the, the circular reasoning in verse 13. I don't know if you noticed this, but Moses says here in verse 13, he says, Therefore I pray you, this is what he's asking God, if I find favor in your sight, he's already said, God, you've told me I found favor in your sight. You found me on the backside of the desert, spoke to me through a burning bush, and told me I found favor in your sight. So if I found favor in your sight, which I have, let me know your ways that I may know you. In other words, I've found favor in your sight, then please let me know who you are so that I can know you even better. Why? So that I can find favor in your sight. And so Moses is saying, Lord, 
I, I want to find faith. You've told me I found favor in my sight. The only way I find favor in your sight is by doing what you want me to do. But the only way I can do what you want me to do is to know you more and to follow you more. And so it's this roundabout circle. You see, God chose us when we were unlovable and unreachable. God reached down and he loved us and he saved us. And then we responded to that love in obedience and in service to him. But the great thing is that the more we serve him and the more we see what he's doing in our lives, the more we love him, the more we come to know him and the more he is able to use us and the more he, he looks with favor on our lives. Now, does that mean that everything's going to go perfectly? Absolutely not. Moses has, been, Moses has been chased out of a country with people chasing him to kill him. He had to go and stand in front of the ruler of the world at that time and tell him, you need to let my people go. And, and by the way, um, I'm going to make all these horrible things happen to you. And you hold the power of life and death over me while I'm telling you that you're going to have flies inhabit your land. The Nile's going to turn to blood. Your firstborn son's going to die. Um, you know, that's not a fun situation to be in. So it's not like his life has been perfect, but what he's found is that he fought, the more he's followed God, the more he sees God work. And so that's why Moses at this point is willing to step back and say, Lord, you've just told us that we're going to go to this promised land, but you're not going to go with us. And that's not a position that I'm willing to be in. God's response is, to this recognition on Moses' part, this recognition of seeing God's sovereignty in his life is amazing. The response is God says, okay, Moses, for you, because of your faith, I will go with you personally. As I was thinking about this passage, um, the, uh, the book Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby, years and years ago when it first came out, I went through that Bible study, and I think the men's Bible study on Thursday night it was talking about trying to do that. I don't know if they, do, they have, but in Experiencing God, Henry Blackaby, the one thing he says, and, and the subtitle to that whole study is Knowing and Doing the Will of God. And the, one, the first thing he says, if you're going to know and do the will of God, most of us, the first response would be, oh, well, Sit down and pray about it. Blackaby says the first thing you need to do is just stop and look around and find out where God is working. And then go to where God is working and join in that work. And and basically he's saying, you know, everybody's wanting to look for that big thing that God wants. When God may be working in the children's Sunday school and they need an opening and you can raise your hand and say, I can do that. All right, I'll go teach it. And then God opens up one door and another door and another door. And that's what Moses was here doing. Instead of going out ahead and rushing ahead, he was looking and saying, God, you're working here. You're doing something. But the only way I'm really going to experience you is if you're in it. And I want to find what you're doing. And I want to join you in that work. Um, the, the other thing that I see here in the way of application of this is that Moses, when he recognized this leading in his life, it drove him, yes, to follow God. But where do we find Moses in this conversation? We find Moses apart from the people, sitting in a tent. You know, we don't know the position. Maybe it was just him in a chair or on his knees, and that's it. And the presence of God filling this tent. 
And if we're ever going to know God, if we really get a picture of His control in our life, and the fact that He loved us enough to choose us and to call us by name and to know us before we were born and to make us His own, then we, like Moses, it should drive us to the point where we want to spend as much time as we can with Him. We're never going to know God's leading in our life until we, because of our response to His love, in response to His choosing of us, we intentionally make time to spend with God. And for me, that's, that's really convicting to, to think about Moses' response here, that he, he immediately, his first response was not anger, his first response was simply to go and pray, to go and spend time with God, to know what God wanted. And I would encourage you, when you're in that time of seeking God's leading in your life, the more that you're going in His Word, the more that you're praying, the more that you're spending time with Him, that's the only way you're going to get to know how great our God is. Moses was able to know how wonderful God was because he spent time with Him. The reason that the people of Israel had made the golden calf wasn't because Moses spent one day up on a mountain talking to God. The reason the people made the golden calf is because Moses spent days and days and days up there, simply being with God. It's interesting that Jesus, at the beginning of his earthly ministry, he, he doesn't go out and go preach to amazing crowds and everything else, but one of the things he does is he, he immediately goes away after his baptism and goes into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights and faces temptation by Satan and gets ministered to personally by his Father, God in heaven, and that's how he begins his earthly ministry of 40 days of prayer and fasting out in the wilderness. And too many times we're so busy trying to do things for God and find out what God wants for us that we're running and running and running and running. But if we spent time to back off and simply get alone with God, which is where Moses is able to really, from this point on, see God leading in his life. So... Moses' recognition of this sovereign leading drove him to spend more time with God in order to know God better. So then God's response is, Moses, I'm going to go with you personally. Now, we know that this was not just an angel, but this was God's personal committal of leadership in his life. He said, my presence shall go with you. This is different than him saying, I'm going to have an angel go with you. We, you know, we, we think of angels as being these, I, I mean, I don't want to get into a huge dissertation on angelology here, but we tend to, unfortunately, in our society, oh, well, the, we, you have to have your guardian angel with you and all this. And that, in the Bible, there's some support to maybe that belief and everything, but I would much rather have God on my side than all the angels in heaven. They are a created being. The Bible says we're supposed to spend time getting to know God, not getting to know about angels. And so God here says, I will personally be with you. Also notice that the promise that, rec that recognition of God's sovereign control will lead to rest. It's interesting, he says, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. Now think about what Moses has to endure here. Moses is going to, he just led the people of Israel 
out of Egypt, where they were under bondage and slavery for 400 years, he leads them out of Egypt into a green place with lots of fruits and vegetables and plenty of animals roaming around so they can eat? No. He leads them into a desert. with no. I've been out to the Anzo Borrega. There's nothing out there. I mean, I can't even go hiking out there because they say you have to carry all your own water and everything. You, there's nothing out there. I know, sometimes it's pretty. But for the most part, a desert doesn't have a whole lot to support you. He's got a million people leading them through the desert, and God says, Moses, I'm going to lead you, and I'm going to give you rest. Now, if you've got a million people that you've got to take care of, and all of them are coming to you, later on we find out Moses actually has to have his his father-in-law help him to be able to set up a governmental structure because everybody's coming to him and saying, Moses, I need this and I need this and this person's not getting taken care of and I need this. And do you think you'd be able to sleep well at night? I know I wouldn't. But God tells Moses, Moses, I'm leading you. I'm with you personally. And because of that, you're going you're gonna to rest easy. I will give you rest. This reminds me of Jesus' statement. We're going to see it in a couple of weeks when, we, when, when, when Gunner makes it to Matthew 11. And in Matthew 11, it says, Matthew 11:30, Jesus tells his disciples, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, when you think of a yoke on a, on a, on a, on a cow, or they, would think, they, would have it, they would have two steers yoked together to be able to pull the oxen, yoked together to be able to pull the, the plows and stuff. Those yokes, if you've seen them, are not light. There's nothing light about a yoke. And yet Jesus says, if you follow me, if you're willing to give everything up for me, if you're willing to place all on the line for the one who saved your soul and trust me with your life, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden's light. Why is that? Because life is simple and, and, and I have money flowing, growing on trees and I have, I have everything going my way? No. But because in Jesus Christ, we have the hope, we have the confidence that we have an eternal security, that we have a Father who loves us, that we have a God who says, I will never give you anything that you cannot go through. But there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that you are able. So it sounds counterproductive, to live our lives with this recognition that basically we're at the disposal of someone else. Humanly speaking, this is the worst response ever. Seriously. He's in charge. He has a million people. If um, Gunner's brother-in-law, who's actually a, a friend of mine who I used to work for, he's a, a Navy captain. Um, well, now he's not. Yesterday he got promoted to admiral. If you told me tomorrow that... I, I could, the Navy was going to make me the chief naval operations and put me in charge of the Navy. I'm telling you, I could fix it. Give me some power. I could, I could make everything good in the Navy, at least, overnight. And I'd probably have to be the dictator of the United States to kind of fix everything. But um, the president doesn't have enough power. Um, but if you gave me that kind of power, I'm telling you right now, it would go to my head. And my first response would be, I am in charge. I hope not, but that would probably be in my human nature. I'm in charge, you're going to do what I say, and we're going to have the best country ever because I'm the man. But Moses instead 
looks to God and says, I'm not the man. I, I have no way to be the man. And the only way I can do it is to realize that you're in control and you're sovereign over my life. And I don't want to take a step unless you're going to go with me, unless you're going to be the one leading the way. But what we find out is that when we're willing to live our lives in that way, when we're willing to have that kind of attitude, is that it leads to freedom and peace and not stress and discontent. So where does he go from there? He, he goes on into verse 15 and he says, Then he said to him, this is Moses talking again to God. He says, If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken. For you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. This is kind of a reiteration of what Moses has just said, but the, the, we see a little bit more here. I, I think the second step that we see here into God's leading in our life is to follow God closely. First, we recognize that He's in control anyway. But then secondly, our recognition of the fact that He's in control, He chose us, and it's Him that is in charge, has to be, we follow His leadership. See, here's the thing. There's a lot of people that you can tell me they're in charge of me, and my attitude can still be wrong. And it can still be fine. You're in charge of me? Wait till you leave. I'm going to do whatever I want to do because I don't respect you. But Moses doesn't do that. He says, God, I... I can't do anything without you. And I have to follow you closely. His prayer was that God would never ask them to do something that God wasn't a part of. Can you imagine that prayer in your own life? Even if you're going through something that's difficult, even if all if a death, an illness, a, 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 a financial crisis, a family crisis... If in everything your prayer to God was the same as Moses, Lord, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not lead us up from here. He didn't say, Lord, don't take me through rough times. Don't make me go through this wilderness and face, and face the burden of leading all these people who are miserably failing every time I turn around. Instead, he just simply said, God, you, if you want me to do this, just you simply can't leave me. And when we come into the worst times in our life, if our attitude is one of, God, just don't ask me to go somewhere where you're not going to be. And here's the great fact. We have the promises all through the scripture that God will never leave us nor forsake us. It's, it's fascinating to me that when you look at the very last thing that Moses tells the people of Israel in... Um, Deuteronomy 31.6, Moses is at the end of his life. He knows he's going to die. God's already told him that he's not going to go into the promised land. And Moses is, is giving his final speech to the people of Israel before he turns everything over to his protege Joshua. And in Deuteronomy 31.6, as he's giving this, this final speech to the people of Israel, these are his words to them. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. 
it seems to me that Moses really learned the lesson well. That even though Moses started off, he was not a man of great faith. Let's just be honest. Moses was, he was like, honestly, like I would be. I mean, he's running away from his past. When God finds him in the desert, he's, he's running away from his people. He's, he's, he's given up everything. He's scared. He says, God, don't choose me to do this. I can't even speak. Just let me be. He's fearful. But he was able to take that first step of faith and recognize that God was in control. And through it all, as he led the people of Israel, he led not by his own strength, but by God's strength. And at the end of his life, he's able to say, look to God. Don't look at me. Don't look at your human leaders. Don't look at all these other things that are around you. Look to God because he will not fail you or forsake you. It reminds me of David in Psalm, in the great, in the great passage that all of us hear, Psalm 23, when he says, I will, that yea, though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. How was he able to say that? Because he recognized that God is everywhere. God will never ask you to do something that he is not a part of. And that's where Moses found himself. Moses understood that God's presence was essential to Israel's testimony before the world. He says, for how then can it be known that I've found favor in your sight? I and your people, is it not by your going with us so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? The difference between the Israelites and all the nation around them was that they were supposed to be a city on a hill, God called them. Literally, the place where people could look to Jerusalem and go, the, the difference is the God they serve. And I want to be a part of that God's faith. It didn't always work out that way. But that was what God intended it to be. That they were supposed to be these people so led by God that other people would look to them and want to have a part in God as well. It kind of is the same thing that we've been seeing in Jesus' teaching. That in Matthew, what we've seen is that our relationship with God His presence in our lives through the Holy Spirit is what sets us apart and even allows us to, when coming under under persecution, remember that when we preached several weeks ago, the answer was not know everything you can because you have to be able to, to be this great orator for God. The answer was no. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to say because your life is under His control. And everything goes back to the fact that what sets us apart is not our ability to be absolutely perfect, to be holy, because we never will. What sets us apart is not our ability to look strange and different from the world in that we, we, we wear clothes that are 50 years out of fashion and we, and we, and we uh, you know, n- never say anything wrong and, and we always we huddle up and, and push the world away. The difference that sets us apart is God in our life is our relationship with Jesus Christ that changes us from the inside so the world sees that there's a difference between what the whole, what a person with the Holy Spirit in their life is like and what a person without the Holy Spirit in their life is like. And Moses understood that. 
And then finally, we go only where God goes. I love the way verse 15 reads in the New Living Translation. It says, if you don't go with us personally, don't let us move a step from this place. You know, a lot of times, there's a lot of things that I do that I don't necessarily take time to ask God for. But I think, in reality, we should be asking God about every step that we take, every move that we make. Because God is ultimately in control of our lives, and He's the one who should set our priorities, our passions, our desires, our time. All of it is His. And following God is the distinctive mark of God's people. How are people going to know that you're a Christian? It's not because you wear a big badge that says Christian. It's because they see you following God. They see the difference that makes in your life. And of course, the Lord's answer to Moses there is, I will do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Moses didn't find favor in God's sight because Moses was holy and he never did anything wrong. Moses found favor in God's sight because he recognized God's sovereignty and he was willing to place himself under that sovereign control and to follow God wherever he would lead. And then we see what really I think the ultimate goal here of Moses was. We come to verse 18 and it says, Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. Moses wasn't concerned just about leading a group of people through the wilderness to come into a promised land. Moses was concerned that he would personally know God so intimately that he would see the glory of God revealed in his life before himself. Can you imagine how different our churches would be if every one of our attitude was, Lord, show me your glory? Because the fact is, I don't know how much we really want to see really, truly, honestly, the power and the glory of God. In fact, the glory of God was so life-transforming and awe-inspiring that God tells Moses, Moses, because of your attitude, because of your desire to follow me and to be led by me, and your recognition of my control in your life, I am going to show you my glory, but you can't see my face. You can't take all of me. I mean, I'm, I'm reminded of you know the, the, the fighter who comes in the ring, and you can't, you can't take me. I don't think that was God's attitude, God, but God's attitude was, Moses, if I show you all of me, you're going to die. Because it will be so awe-inspiring, so awesome in the true sense of the word, that you won't be able to live after that. You'll, you'll just want to be with me. So what does he do? God says, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one can see it and live Then the Lord said, there's a place by me, you shall stand there on the rock, and it will come about while my glory is passing by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And we find out later on when Moses goes back up to the mountain and gets the Ten Commandments, that's exactly what happens. 
God places Moses in a rock behind. I, I mean, I, I don't know exactly what it looked like, but it, somehow he hid Moses so all he could see was just as the glory of God passed by. And it was like he uses a physical description. Obviously, God isn't human, but he uses a physical description to say that God just that Moses just saw the backside of God as he passed by. And the transformation was so great that when Moses came down off the mountain, if you remember, the people came to Moses and said, Moses, you got to put a veil over your face. I, he's, the, your face is so transformed. It is like we're looking into a bright flame of fire and we can't, you're blinding us. That was the transformation that God's glory had made physically on Moses. And we can see from the rest of Moses' life that the, 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 that seeing God's glory so transformed him, I believe, that even though Moses had followed God to this point, he had, but he had been pretty faithless in how he had done it. You know, and we've said it before, but from the point of, God, I, a burning bush, really? I, I, know, I know you're burning, but I still don't believe you. And I still need Aaron. And I'm still not willing to do this. At this point, though, God, at this point, Moses basically says, okay, I'm going forward, and I'm only going to go if you tell me to take a step. And at that point is where God starts to really work through Moses and these people. And if we're willing to follow God with our life, if we're willing to recognize that He's in control anyway, and and to spend the time with Him so we see what He is doing, where He wants us to go, where He's leading us, and step out by faith and follow Him no matter where it takes us, then we get to see God's glory working in our life. Now, are we gonna, do we get to see it the way Moses saw it? I don't believe so. We're not going to physically see it. One day we will. When we are in heaven, the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We're going to see God the Father on His throne in all of His glory. And it will change us completely. There will be no sin. There will be no hatred. There will be... The Bible even says, as weird as it is, because... To us, relationships are important, and they should be, that there's no marrying and giving in marriage and all these other things that we love so much on earth. Why? I think it's because when we see the glory of God, every other relationship we've ever had in our life will mean absolutely nothing compared to how wonderful and amazing our relationship with God the Father is. But we can't even begin as human beings in our natural state to understand that. But what we can do is follow God each step of the way. Put one foot in front of the other by faith, trusting that God has a better plan for your life and my life than anything that we could ever imagine. And when we're willing to do that, we see God work in amazing ways in our life. This is the goal, to see God's glory And the miraculous thing about all of this is that at that point in time, the reason that God could tell his people that he was going to let them go off with just an angel and lead them is because unlike us now, they didn't have the presence of God dwelling in them personally. We don't have that until the New Testament, until the Holy Spirit we're told in the book of Acts comes down and and dwells us individually. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, 
In Him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. Because here's the miraculous and amazing fact. Moses had to go into a tent and meet with God personally to experience that communion. Each one of us who knows Jesus Christ and has accepted Him, we're told that we have the Holy Spirit in our lives, personally indwelling us. And that whether I sleep, or whether I wake up, or whether I go to the store, or whether I'm hanging out with my friends, or talking to my wife, or working in my yard, or going to work, whatever I'm doing, God's right there. And I don't have to go to a special tent to meet with Him. I don't have to say a special set of words to meet with Him. All I simply do is have to talk to Him. And yet, do we take the time to turn to Him the way that Moses did? And simply say, Lord, I trust You. I know that You're working in my life. And I trust You with the future. And take that next step by faith that Moses was willing to demonstrate and see the glory of God in your life as you're willing to follow His sovereign control. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we, uh, we're so grateful that You have given us Your Word. That Lord, it was meant to not just be history, but it was meant to demonstrate for each of us how You interact with us, how You care about us, how You lead us and guide us. Father, we know that for each of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, you have chosen us, you have said, before we were born, before we were made, you knew our names. And Lord, we just pray that we would respond to that sovereign control, that we would follow you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. We give you the praise in Christ's name. Amen.